Rilke's Daughter, The Life and Struggles of Rosa Luxemburg, podcast by Karol Bulewski. Episode 4 Letters from Paris I will be spending the next couple of episodes reading Rosa's letters to Leo. Don't judge me too harshly and believe that I've gone the way of Hollywood biopics by talking about the love story. There's far more to it than that by reading through Rosa's letters in light of the events of her life at the time. I'm also trying to show how passionate she was both in her private and public lives. You cannot be a revolutionary and be lukewarm in the way you live your life. Or maybe you can, I just cannot conceive it. The following letters were written in the spring of 1893, when Rosa was in Paris to oversee the printing of Sprava Robotnica, or Walker Calls, the newspaper that published the thoughts of the illegal organization she and Leo had founded, the Social Democratic Party of Poland and Lithuania. At the time, a revision of socialist thought had become necessary and international socialism stood on the threshold of a new phase of development. The new international had been founded in 1889 in Paris as the outward expression of the internal consolidation of the socialist movement. Things were changing across Europe. In France, the period of confusion following the defeat of the Commune de Paris was coming to an end. In England, new unions were emerging, which rejected the Lib-Lab tradition of economic collaboration and resuming the class struggle. In Germany, the anti-socialist laws had been repealed and the working class movement was enjoying a bourgeois legal basis with two extremist tendencies, the radicals on the left and the reformists on the right, attacking the traditional party policy. The founding of the new party and of its organ, Sprava Robotnica, urgently demanded a revision of the ideas inherited from its predecessors. Rosa, who had studied the history of Poland, its national revolutionary and socialist movements, as well as the theoretical foundations of the international working class movements, formulated the results of this work for the Polish working class movement in a significant document which was presented at the Third Congress of the Socialist International in Zurich in 1893. The document dealt with the establishment of a social democratic or Marxist policy for the Polish working class movement against blankist anarchism 
and against reformism. I'll go over this document in detail in later episodes, based on her pamphlet Reform or Revolution. But for now, let's delve into some of the letters Rosa wrote to Leo whilst in Paris on that spring of 1893. The first letter, dated 11th of March, was written as she had just arrived in Paris and was finding her feet in the city. You will note her self-awareness as a woman, which we touched upon in the previous episode, when she describes the Parisienne, the women of Paris. Paris, March 11, 1894, Sunday. My most precious, beloved child, at least I can write you, it's now 11 o'clock at night. I just returned from Adolf Varsky's and I'm sitting in my little room on the fifth floor. Considering the conditions here in Paris, the room isn't bad, but that's beside the point. I wanted only to write to you and about you now, but my head is drooping from exhaustion. Undoubtedly, you'll notice that more and more often, as this letter goes on, my precious gold, my chuchia, my diodio, my little mite, what are you doing now? No doubt you're lying in bed, with the lamp on the table next to you, and you're reading or scribbling something and puffing clouds of smoke from your cigarette. Only one, my bobo. When will I see you? I miss you so much that my soul is simply thirsting. Do you know what, my gold? It's soon going to be midnight, but down below on the streets, all around there's noise and shouting, paper boys crying out, just like at noon time. What did I do today? Nothing. I slept for about three hours, then Morek came to Adolf's, and also a worker, another poor. So I wasn't able to get anything done. Besides, I had such a racket in my head, I wasn't fit for anything. Oh my God, if only I had you here with me. Anyhow, later today, we went by streetcar to the Bois de Boulogne and came back. I saw the Trocadero, the Arc de Triomphe, the Eiffel Tower and the Grand Opera. I'm deafened by the noise. And how many beautiful women there are here. Really, all of them are beautiful. Or at least they seem to be. No, under no circumstances will you come here. You stay in Zurich. You ask how it was to see Adolf again. Very good. We haven't really talked about anything yet. However, he's given his advice about what should be published next, etc., in a word, the same as usual. Now to business, Gould. Just imagine. There are four columns still unfilled for the next issue. I really don't know what to do. You see? Unfortunately, I didn't bring with me the article by Ulick, but it'll be two days before you get this letter, and then two more days before he corrects it, 
and you send it to me another day before Rife typesets it. Five days at the minimum. So, this is what I've decided to do. Early tomorrow, I'll go to Rife and inquire if he has letters for the May pamphlet. Then instead of ripping the issue apart, I'll let it wait and in the meantime he can typeset the pamphlet in two parts. But if he has no letters, I'll telegraph you the article by Ulek. I'll go over it myself and shove it in. Gold, I'm exhausted and nerve-wracked. I can't write anymore. I kiss my Josie or my tutor, Rosa. second letter, dated 14 days later, 25th of March, she is getting frustrated that even though they are far apart, Leo, in his letters, is only concerned with the content of the paper, Sprava Robotnica, whilst herself discussing the contents of the next issue of the paper at length, and finishing off with a detailed description of her expenses. All of it almost in the same breath. It's Rosa as a whole person we find in this letter, the lover and the revolutionary, and the woman who's trying to reconcile both and is trying to make a success of the paper for the greater good. We'll continue going through these early letters of Rosa to Leo in an upcoming episode and see how their relationship evolves. But next time we shall talk about the French Revolution Rose's views on these important events in European history and how she didn't think it was a socialist revolution. Paris, March 25th, 1894, Sunday. My dear, I've been very angry with you and I have a few nasty things to reproach you for. It's put me in such a melancholy mood that I had the intention of not writing you anymore until my departure. But feelings gained the upper hand. Here, then, is what I have to reproach you for. Your letters contain absolutely nothing besides Prava Robonitsa, criticism of what I've done and indications of what I should do. When you indignantly say that, after all, you do send me so many loving words in every letter, my answer to you is that these tender little words aren't enough for me and I'd gladly send them back to you in exchange for the tiniest bit of information about your personal life. Not the slightest word. The only thing that connects us is the cause and the leftover tradition of earlier feelings. That's very painful. It has become especially clear to me here. Recently, when I sat myself down to rest for a moment, so exhausted I was ready to drop from the constant work for the cause, 
I let my thoughts wander and I got the feeling that I don't have my own personal corner anywhere and that nowhere do I exist and live as myself. In Zurich it's the same thing, in fact, with an even heavier load of editorial work. I felt I had just as little desire to remain here as to return to Zurich. Don't tell me that I can't bear the ongoing pressure of work, that what is speaking from me is the desire to rest, or no. I can't put up with twice as much work. The only thing that causes me agony and makes me feel dreary is that wherever I turn, on every side, the only thing I have is the sprava, the cause. And why is it necessary for me to have others keep my head turned in this direction, when for my own part I already do enough thinking about the sprava, and I'm concerned about it quite enough. It really annoys me, the fact that whenever I take a letter in hand, whether from someone else or from you, everywhere it's the same. It's either the next issue, or it's the pamphlet, or it's this article, or that one. That would all be fine if at least in addition to that, alongside of that, there was a bit of the human person, the soul, the individual to be seen. But from you, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. During this time, have you had no impressions? Have no thoughts occurred to you? Have you read nothing, had no perceptions that you could share with me? Perhaps you might ask me the same question. Although in my case, it's quite the contrary. I have encountered, in spite of the Sprava, a whole crowd of thoughts and impressions at every turn. Only I've had no one I could share them with. With you, oh, I value myself too highly to do that. Sooner than that, I might have an exchange of views with Heinrich, Mittek or Adolf, but unfortunately, I'm not in love with them, so I have no desire to do that. You, on the other hand, I do love, but, and here I repeat, exactly what I've written above. It isn't true that things are getting too hot now, that the press of work is too great. In a certain kind of relationship, one always finds something to talk about and a moment of time to write it. Supposedly, you only live for our and your cause, so then let's take the Russian matter. Have you written me even one little word about it? What's going on? What was printed? What about the young fellows there in Zurich? You don't consider it necessary to write even the slightest bit about that. I know that probably nothing special has happened over there, but it's precisely to people who are close to you that one writes even about small things. You think it's enough for me if I scribble for the Sprava and do a good job of presenting your inconsequential opinions? That is very characteristic. Rosa then proceeds in the letter to discuss articles for the next issue of the paper, explaining the amount of rewriting she's got to do, before going into a detailed list of her expenses for the journal and for living in Paris. And then she asks Leo for a whole lot of questions uh, related to topics um, that are included in the articles she's working on. 
And finally, she discusses some events in Paris, and this is where we pick up the letter again. As far as sightseeing in Paris goes, I have no doubts about whether I'll go anywhere at all because the insane noise here and the crowds leave me feeling weak and give me a migraine. After a stay of half an hour in Bon Marché, I could barely make it back out to the street. The celebration of the anniversary of the Commune was done very shabbily. The speakers included Lafargue, Paul Amink, Zévaez, Chauvin and a few others. Their speeches were rather flat, especially Lafargue's. Gerd did not come despite having consented to speak. At the most, there were 200 people, supposedly a great many would be present on the day when all the parties would celebrate in unison. But because of my nerves, I didn't feel up to going. I'll close now because otherwise it'll be too late for the mail. Do you regard it as not necessary to send me the newspapers? You do know, don't you, that among the French, there's only the stupid Parisian rubbish. I no longer have any inkling about what's going on in Germany and Austria. It's odd that the idea hasn't occurred to you to send German-language newspapers. Read my letter attentively and answer all questions.